You're listening to A Conduit's Diary, a podcast featuring my diary entries as I investigate paranormal activity. This is rated explicit because I have a foul mouth and I'm kind of an asshole. Be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast so you can share the love. Now on to episode 17, Can't Rub It Out, Even With Sage. Stephanie was calling again. The last few days she'd been calling me non-stop, which was a good sign that something more nefarious was afoot. And by nefarious, I meant she wanted something from me. As satisfying as it was to see the look of utter shock on her face during our last adventure, see me exercising some murder victims from a house that were actually sealed into the attic, or the sense of, I told you so, when I removed a child spirit from her old listing, well, I wasn't really in the mood to deal with her. I'd attended a vigil for Derek, see episode 16, and stood with the community as they mourned his loss. I also watched the news and set an alert for any new information about the arrest of the local boy. To my dismay, the entire thing vanished as quickly as it had appeared, with no real answer in the news. I even wrote to the local police department, but they ignored my emails. I knew better than to ask Harry. He straight up told me he didn't follow the cases. If there was truly any updates, I wouldn't get them. It left me frustrated and annoyed. It didn't help that my mother was being evasive. Her hair was thinning, likely the result of the chemotherapy or radiation or whatever else she was using for her cancer, and she refused to tell me anything about it. She'd wave her hand and say, we've more important things to do. And then we'd dive into another lesson about the afterlife. Lately, she'd been wanting to meet more and more, teaching me more and more strange things about what I could do, what we could do. I'm not really ready to process those things just yet, to be honest. It was entirely on accident I answered one of Stephanie's million calls. She was smart. She called in the middle of the day to the rescue and asked to speak to the manager. Rosa was technically the manager, but more and more I was shouldering the calls in the day-to-day operations. Rachel, said the kennel tech, popping her head into my office, it's some vendor asking about giving us free dog food. I immediately reached for the phone, sighing in annoyance when I heard Stephanie's voice on the other end. Hello, this is Rachel, I said into the phone. Aha! You have been ignoring me, Stephanie said triumphantly from the line. I rubbed between my eyebrows, feeling a headache start to pulse there. I've been busy, I told her. It wasn't exactly a lie, but sometimes I ignored her when I was on the couch watching stolen network TV from my neighbors and eating Ben and Jerry's. I heard her scoff in disbelief. Anyway, I have a proposition for you. Of course you do, I said in return. You'll want to hear this. A house that's haunted. It's easily a two to three million dollar home, but everyone who goes in there say they get the creeps. And something always happens when someone tries to buy it. We even tried to sage it. I heard Hema's voice in my head, frowning and explaining why using sage as non-indigenous person was off limits and harmful to the environment. It seemed like it just pissed it off, she added. I'm starting to think the house was built on an old cemetery or burial ground or something. Why? I asked. 
Well, you know, we tried to get rid of it and it pissed it off. How did it piss it off? I asked. She let out a heavy sigh and I could hear the annoyance at the edge of her voice. Listen, just come and take a look. Do your witchy thing or whatever it is you do. Witchy thing? I responded with a laugh. I don't know what to call it. What are you even? You and mom, are you like psychics or... She trailed off, the question genuine in her voice. I could read between the lines. What are you, but I am not? I shrugged then, realizing she couldn't see my shrug, and said, I don't know what the hell to call it. All I know is that if this place is really worth a few million, I expect a paycheck big enough for a beach trip. I met Stephanie after the sun set that night, since I refused to tromp around in the sunlight. The high for early May was already butting up against the hundreds, and there was no relief in sight for at least another seven or eight months. The mornings were already climbing in their warmth. This morning, the low was like 75. I was not looking forward to perpetually sweating and wearing too much sunscreen. Living in Arizona as a redhead was akin to torture. The home was exactly what I expected given the location. Stephanie was more of an East Valley real estate agent, and she avoided Scottsdale, so her million-dollar-plus homes were actually impressive. As you went into the Scottsdale Paradise Valley area, you were likely to find homes grossly overpriced just because they were in a certain area code. In the East Valley, the disparity wasn't so big. A million-dollar home in Mesa looked like it should be a million dollars. This home was no exception. The home was located in Northeast Mesa, close enough to the east side that it may have been even Apache Junction. It sat at both the base of the Superstition Mountains and Usury Park, which boasted beautiful mountain views. As you looked down the slope of the driveway, you were greeted with the sight of Phoenix, lit up under the night sky. I was early, my arms crossed as I leaned against my car, enjoying the nice breeze that cooled the sweat on my forehead. I did a little research on the home, and sure enough, it had never been occupied for long. It was built only three years prior during a surge in development in the area. As I looked along the neighborhood, I saw similar custom homes, sprawling and expensive, with various versions of the same adobe style. According to my Google search, the land was sold to a semi-developer about five years prior, and he staked off bits of land to sell as a gated community, but a small one. No HOA, pretty custom homes, with the only rule being that each plot had to have a home, and it had to have a certain look. He put no other specifications. As a result, some of the homes were two-story, some single-story, and others had basements. The one across the street had a moat with like a drawbridge that connected the driveway to the main home. Stephanie pulled up about 20 minutes later, making her about 20 minutes late. Well, she said, closing the door to the car behind her. You're late, I said. Do you keep your clients waiting too, I asked. She rolled her eyes. I gave you time to stake it out to see if you get any vibes. As she said vibes, she lifted her hands in the air, waving them around to insinuate my vibes were kind of a joke. I didn't disagree with her, but frowned anyway. What do you know about the property, I asked. She shouldered her heavy bag and headed toward the front door, motioning for me to follow. I sighed and followed her in, watching her press the numbers onto the keypad to be let in. A beeping noise alerted us to an alarm system, but she didn't make any move to disarm it. Purely for show. It kept going off for inexplicable reasons. They just disarmed the whole thing, Stephanie explained. She tossed her bag on the kitchen counter, which was just a few paces into the building. 
Damn, I said, looking around. The ceilings were massively high. The entire opposite wall, nothing but glass windows that overlooked a resort-style backyard, with the mountains perfectly outlined as a backdrop. The kitchen was all upgrades, stainless steel, high-end cabinets, brand new appliances. The floor was a beautiful tile that looked expensive as hell. Even without furniture, the place was decadent and stylish. Yeah, exactly, Stephanie said. I think we could get at least five for this if we do it right. If you can get rid of the haunting, then we can make up some excuse why it's been a poor sell all these years. You know, something like a gas leak or termites, I don't know. She opened her bag and pulled out her computer, tapping furiously as she tried to find something. She nodded me over and I looked over her shoulder to the MLS listing. All right, so it was built three years ago by the same builder that did a few of the other homes in the development. The land was purchased by an investment real estate guy. He planned to stage it and sell it for more than he paid. It was sold about two months after it went on the market. Very slow for this area. Most of them last less than a weekend. It was bought sight unseen by a couple moving from California. She trailed off, scrolling a bit more. Looks like they lived here less than a week before putting it up for sale. Similar story since then. If it's on the market, it's on the market for months. Always bought by someone who hasn't actually stepped foot in the house before. They don't last long, rinse, and repeat. She chewed on a nail, her foot tapping absently. Any other details, I asked? Just rumors, she admitted, closing the computer. Without it, the house was unnaturally quiet. No chirping birds, no hum of bugs, not even the wind. Silence. This place is creepy, she agreed with a shiver. I felt exactly what she meant. My hair was standing up on edge, my senses primed like I was about to be attacked. Maybe it was just the quiet, or maybe it was the way she built up the place being so awful that no one could live in it despite its beauty. It's a true black widow, she said. I shrugged, leaning in a way that I didn't have to have my back to the expansive dark hallway. What are the rumors, I asked. Oh, people who come through to tour just feel really off about it. Most people say it gives them the creeps, which is weird because I've heard that maybe like three times in my entire career. The agents who've toured it say no one stays inside the house for long. I talked to one of the ones who sold it in the past. They said it took less than 48 hours for the buyer to want to sell it. They weren't even done unloading the boxes. They just put them back on the truck and into storage. Most of them got hotels right away. Anything to get out of the house. No other details, I pressed. I was trying to get a sense of what scared them away. I was also trying to pay attention to her despite the sensation that continually beat across my brain. The one that said, danger, leave, run, go, get out. I could tell Stephanie felt the same way. Her eyes kept darting around the room. None, just that the last agent tried to sage the place and ended up in the hospital. I blinked at her. You left that out before, I said. She shrugged. Did I? Whoops. She was trying to put on a brave face. Okay, so this is all very vague. The house had bad vibes. No one lived in it very long, and someone tried to sage it. I said the word with a grimace, unable to keep Hema's story about the Palo Santo from my mind. And it seemed to piss it off. So whatever this is, it doesn't want anyone here. Stephanie shrugged. Well, let's see what it wants, I said, feeling the sense of fear rise up in my throat. Stephanie and I both hesitated in the kitchen before she reached into her bag and pulled out a can of mace and a flashlight. I raised my eyebrows at her and she shrugged. 
Look, I used to sell properties in some crazy areas. You never know. I rolled my eyes and took the first step, trying to look braver than I felt. The sense of eerie calm only got worse as we walked through the house. From the kitchen was a hallway with a low wall to the side, leading to an expansive dining room with similar tile. I took the two steps down into the room, peering around. The lights were bright enough to illuminate the entire room, but the shadows still seemed to hold to the corners, obscuring them in absolute darkness. I didn't see anything obvious and turned back to the main hallway. We took another few steps to investigate more of the home. A bathroom, a powder room, a few bedrooms, a den. Each step deeper into the home only added to the sickly sensation. I felt my stomach pitch a bit, my heart rate refusing to return to normal. Behind me, Stephanie was nearly panting, less than a step behind me. The entire home felt heavy, like I had a weighted blanket on me. Every step deeper into the house felt like I was tracking through mud. At last, we were at the end of the hallway, with options to either turn right to the garage, left to the master bedroom, or up the stairs catty-corner to us. I knew without having to move much further that the master bedroom was the source, that what waited for us on the other side of the door was not a kind or benevolent spirit. It was something dark. I turned to Stephanie. You want to take the stairs? I asked. She blinked at me, at the door to the bedroom, a silent understanding. You sure? was all she said. I nodded. She turned without another question, hopping up the stairs, taking them two at a time. She wanted all the distance between herself and that room as possible. My own eyes turned to the doors. They were as tall as the ceiling, carved with ornate markings that looked more opulent than the modern look of the rest of the house. When I reached out to touch them, to push open the doors, I could feel a surge of something cold and cruel against my palm. It only worsened as the door swung open slowly, exposing a ridiculously sized master bedroom. I left the door open behind me and took a few steps in, surveying the platform area for a bed, the windows that looked onto the mountain range, the fireplace that shared a hearth space with the bedroom and the master bathroom. My eyes were drawn suddenly, inexplicably, to the built-in library bookshelf on the wall. It was the same wood as the door to the master. I knew that instantly, without really understanding anything about carpentry. When my hand reached out to touch it, I felt the same cold sensation pass through my hand and my body. I drew my hand away. There you are, I breathed. The wooden library didn't respond. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw a glimmer of a shadow, just the quickest flash of movement that I couldn't focus on. My head jerked to follow the movement, catching it as it evaporated into the shadows. I knew that movement. I knew that sensation. I knew what I was dealing with. My stomach was now filled with lead and ice. Come out, I demanded, my voice wavering. The shadow didn't pulse. It didn't move. If it knew I saw it, it made no reply. I turned back to the bookshelf, considering it. I looked around the room until I found a single brick, probably used during the open house to prop the door open. I held it in my hands, turning it over as I looked at the library. I moved, ready to throw it against the wood, when a voice halted my movement. And who are you? It said. I felt partially relieved. It wasn't him. Not the shadow demon from my college days, not the one that tied Anthony to me, 
not the one that I worried was still waiting for me to slip up, to trap me in another bargain. It was something similar, and when I turned to the shadow, I was surprised to see it take form. It had a face, unlike my monster, though it wasn't exactly human. It had slips for pupils, just wide, unblinking eyes, reptilian, set into a pale face, a woman's face. It was short, its limbs so long and nonsensical, just as his had been. She tilted her head when she realized I noticed her, a motion that should have been human but looked more like a cat before it pounced on an injured bird. Predatory. A potential buyer, I lied. She frowned, or at least I think she did, the corners of her slit of a mouth turning downward. Go away, she said dismissively, turning away from me, moving back into the shadows. I will, but I think I'll remove this library first, I said, lifting the brick in my hand once more. She was in my face within a split second. Up close, she was even more terrifying. Her reptilian eyes were narrowed on me, the bitter white of her face chalky up close. Despite her lack of a nose, I felt the air on my face as she was there, blowing my hair off it. Her mouth was now open, exposing rows of sharp teeth like a shark. She was hissing at me, rising up slowly in height, forcing my head back to keep her in my vision. Do not think to touch that, she said. What's it to you, I asked. I kept my gaze level on her, staring at those impossible eyes as my other hand busied through my purse. I should have something somewhere, something I could use. She retreated just a hair, and I let out a long breath. You are one of them, she said, accusatory. Her eyes flicked up and down my body, considering. I thought you were all dead, she added, before she turned away from me, stalking to the shadows. One of them, I asked, using that moment to look down at my purse, to rifle more. There had to be something in here. Don't play stupid, she said, reaching the shadow, looking over her shoulder. She frowned at me, or at least I think she did. You're here to take me back, but I won't be going. Her gaze flickered to the library, the ornate wood. I have an anchor in this world. An anchor, I asked, pausing to look over the library. Yes, something that I am tethered to. I wish I understood it better when I agreed, she added with a frown. You're here because of the library, I asked. I'm sure if she knew how to roll her eyes, she would have. It was once a tree in a wood. So many shadows, so much room to hunt. Her face was all predator again. But there's nowhere to hide here. The sun. It's always here. Her face turned to the windows to stare out into the dark night. I recalled suddenly my own monster, the way he was always in the shadows. Even in that gas station, he'd cut the lights, let himself slither amongst the shadows on the floor. Every time I saw him was at night. She may not be as strong as my monster, but they were cut from the same cloth. They moved in the same inky blackness. What do you hunt? I asked. She didn't answer, letting herself fold into the shadows. Go away, conduit. You cannot dispatch me with your normal tricks. Do not bother. With that, she slipped into the shadows fully, letting them swallow her whole. Stephanie was in the kitchen when I emerged. Her face told me everything. She'd peeked into that room and saw what I saw. She was trying to look brave, but her lip quivered. I motioned with my head for her to follow me out the door. I didn't have to ask twice. 
In the driveway, we both sighed. Stephanie leaned against her car, tilted her head back, drinking in the night air. It was still warm, but at least it didn't have that heavy, oppressive feeling of the house. Did you get rid of it? She asked. I shook my head. It's the wood in the library, and I think the door to the bedroom. Get rid of it. That should get rid of her. It's that easy? She asked, frowning. I shrugged. I don't, I don't know. I've only ever seen whatever that was once before. I didn't elaborate. Did you get rid of that one? I didn't know. She said she was anchored to the wood. Get rid of the wood. Get rid of her. So just sell the library, Stephanie suggested. I raised my eyebrows. Do you really want to do that to someone else? She considered it. It's such beautiful work, she said with a sigh, then shook her head. I'll call a crew to demolish it. The seller won't care. He said he'd get rid of the house for a quarter what he paid. I doubt he even remembers the library. A pause. Then, you think this will work? I shrugged. You're stuck selling the house regardless. She nodded, turning to her car to get in. Thanks, Rach, she said, before ducking into it. I thought you were all dead. I took one last look at the house, at the shadows that curled around the edges of it, before typing a text to my mother and pressing send. Enough games. It was time for some truth. A Conduit's Diary is created by me, written and produced by me, mixed horribly and edited by me. Cover art created by BMC Design on Fiverr. Music, intro and outro created by Chris Hornberger.